Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, happy hump day. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Solik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, the Prime Minister, under growing pressure to order a national circuit breaker lockdown, just as he's only just rolled out the new three-tier system of restrictions, Uh, Labour leader Keir Starmer calling for that sort of lockdown in England, lasting two to three weeks. Yeah, breaking the unity. For a long time, we've seen the Labour leader in step to a large degree with the Conservatives. Now he is uh, very much criticising the government policy uh, and asking for something else entirely. And he's got backing to an extent from SAGE, the government's scientific advisors. They called from the same action a few weeks ago. Now two of the members are saying that thousands of lives could be saved. But Boris Johnson so far blocking such a circuit breaker plan. In the morning broadcast rounds, we had the Work and Pensions Secretary, Therese Coffey, also saying that it wasn't the right approach. So, so far, no budging from the government. Well, let's uh, talk to a Conservative MP, Anthony Brown, Conservative MP for South Cambridgeshire, joins us now on the line. Thanks so much for being with us, Anthony. Um, Let's get your view straight off the top. Do you think a circuit breaker of that kind would be a good thing at this stage? Uh, no, I think that the government is actually taking the right approach in terms of balancing lives with livelihoods, because it, it's obviously saving lives is of utmost importance. But actually, we also do need to keep the country going. Uh, the economy, we're in the steepest recession uh, in history, uh, the threats of massively rising unemployment. And that has consequences on people's health as well, as well as other people with other medical conditions. Possible. So you have to reach a balance here. And it's actually noticeable that the Prime Minister is being attacked from both sides, as it were. I mean, you mentioned Keir Starman now saying that's a circuit breaker, but actually he's been attacked from people on the other side that's been um, uh, saying actually these, go, these restrictions go far too far. Um, in terms of the circuit breaker, I mean, what SAGE did recommend having a short-term one, but actually it was a repeated series of short-term circuit breaks. So you close down for three weeks or so and then open up and then close down. I think that would be utterly devastating uh, on businesses uh, that are really struggling to get going again. We've got this new three-tier system. Uh, we've got these new restrictions. We need to see, uh, give them a chance to work, see how they play out. Uh, in fact, in the last few days, uh, infection rates have actually sort of, uh, flattened off a little bit, and hopefully that will uh, continue. I mean, just looking at the rates, uh, Anthony, 17,250 cases yesterday, 14,000 the day before. These are all really high numbers. Uh, and, and the argument goes that you can spend your way through the economic aspect, but you can't revive people once they've died. And government scientists saying these will save lives. Does that not need to be the priority now? 
Well, clearly saving lives has been the, the, the uh, absolute top priority throughout. I mean, not just in the UK, but in countries across the world that have gone through a similar series of exercises as we've had uh, at the moment, not exercises, but restrictions as we've had at the moment. And we've had a very you know, deep uh, and long national lockdown. Uh, we eased the restrictions. We're now locking down a bit further. But actually, the uh, the death rates, fortunately, are staying. They're going up. And that is, you know, is bad news. We absolutely need to watch that. But it is a lot lower than it was back in uh, back in April. It is, but at the same time, you've got the government's own scientific advisers, even at the end of September, saying this kind of, uh, of circuit break is what is required. Now, the government's made a big thing about following the science, about going with the advice they get. They clearly aren't taking this advice. Well, there is a... Obviously, the government does need to follow scientific advice, but there are there are lots of different scientific views out there, and a whole range of uh, different people. There are lots of other epidemiologists that are actually recommending a whole range of different uh, types of restrictions. There was a there was a big um, uh, a letter from many uh, um, uh, uh, academics, Great Barrington recommendations, saying that actually we should uh, re- remove restrictions and focus on uh, shielding older people. And the government, so it's a complete opposite of what Sage is recommending. And again, they're very credible people. Uh, the government rejected that because the uh, it really is impossible just to shield older people. They interact with uh, younger people who are less at risk. But um, you've got the care workers who uh, often look after the older people in care homes. You've got pe- you know, grandparents to see their grandchildren uh, and so on. So there is a range of different views here. What the government is trying to do is actually balance that with, as I was saying earlier, with protecting uh, livelihoods as much as they can and keeping the country going. And the government is... And, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, uh, businesses that are really, really struggling. Lots have folded already. Lots are on the brink of uh, folding. And you have to take that into account as well. I mean, what about the uh, the divergence throughout the United Kingdom? We can, we see Northern Ireland announcing what is uh, basically a circuit breaker, Wales preparing for one. Is England a, a danger of falling behind in terms of its response? Well, no, because we've got this this three tier system now. You've got the, the the very high restrictions which uh, Liverpool uh, is under, and that's I mean, if you want to call it a circuit breaker, you can call it that. But that's uh, uh, effectively similar to what they've got in uh, Northern Ireland and parts of Wales. Uh, but other areas of England, so my constituency of South Cambridgeshire, for example, uh, has thankfully uh, moderately low. Uh, infections going up slowly, but still quite low. And you look at parts of like North Norfolk and Dorset, and actually it's still really quite low there. So it would be inappropriate to treat the entire country as as one uh, area when there's huge variations between different parts of it. So yes, uh, where there are high infections, um, Liverpool, there is a very, very tight restriction similar to what Northern Ireland has just announced. Well, one of the key things that seems to come out of this is a break in the consensus. And you look at the papers this morning, they're talking about the ways in which Keir Starmer has now moved uh, aside from this, taken a different position, said that a, a circuit breaker is necessary. I mean, doesn't this reflect the fact that the government and Labour are not working together? It should be a moment, perhaps, where you get Labour more involved in drawing up some of the rules, bring them inside the tent. That would remove opposition pressure and would at least present a united front to the UK people. The, the Labour did initially support the three-tier uh, policy when it was initially announced. They've changed their policy very in the space of a few days. Uh, late, the, the Prime Minister has repeatedly throughout this, and if you listen to uh, PMQs throughout the, the, 
previous months, it's always referred to, has been phoning Keir Starmer on a regular basis to talk him through and hear his response uh, on what the what they're thinking, what they're proposing, and so on. And in fact, and it's been doing it also on a, a more localised basis. There's been lots of uh, phone calls between government ministers and regional uh, political leaders because it is a, you know regional restrictions going on at the moment. Uh, and there, and I think there's you know a lot more positive. Um, uh, acceptance of that now that the government really is reaching out to, to regional political leaders. Uh, but but is it not room now? Is there not room now for something more formal? Given that we're in such a strange time, I mean, I'm I'm tired as anybody else of the wartime uh, analogies. But it's a problem that is facing all of us. It's an external threat. Does it not need a, a response from both main parties? Well, it's 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 the Labour Party and Keir Starmer that suddenly switched tack uh, yesterday from having supported this three-tier system to uh, supporting something else. And it, it certainly, for me, it ranks as uh, political opportunism because they can then later say, well, we told you so, uh, and so on. And the government has been, uh, as I said, you know, repeatedly talking to the Labour Party about its approach. And Boris has been repeatedly talked to Keir Starmer about it. Uh, you know, and that's often referred to in public then when they're sort of debating it in Parliament. Uh, if Labour then decides to go in a different direction, that's obviously their, their decision. It's a democracy. And let me move you on to the subject of Brexit. And that's very much the the other item in Boris Johnson's <laughs> intray right now. Not least the fact that at the moment there is very little sign of moves towards a, a deal. Uh, we're, we're being told perhaps that Britain isn't going to walk away from the talks, even if it goes past the deadline, which is this EU summit going on at the moment. Um is there really any direction in this? I mean, isn't it the truth of it that actually you can't, we can't afford to have both a no-deal Brexit and the impact of the virus right now, and we've got to try and uh, try and bolster the economy on both parts? Uh, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, nobody um, wants a no-deal Brexit, or virtually nobody wants a no-deal Brexit. Uh, you know, the government's been very clear that it wants a deal. I think it's definitely in the interest of both sides, for the EU and the UK, uh, to get a deal. Uh, I, I've been covering and reporting on as a journalist, then also been involved with a lot of the EU negotiations over the last 20, 25 years. Uh, there's always brinkmanship at the end. Uh, things always get more sort of... Uh, impassioned as uh, people sort of desperately bid over the, the, the last few remaining issues, like fishing seems to be the sort of the, the crux issue now. Uh, deadlines, people set deadlines, they often end up being broken because uh, they are sort of artificial, which is why everything ends up being uh, last minute. Uh, the agreements are often made not at midnight, but actually at sort of three minutes past midnight when everyone said it's too late to make an agreement. So I, I, the news actually in, this, uh, in these negotiations has been recently been, the last few days, or last uh, couple of weeks, it's actually been a, becoming increasingly positive uh, on a whole range of different things. There's been agreement on apparently on the on state aid. Uh, so I'm still optimistic that an agreement will be reached, whether it be reached tomorrow or the day after. Uh, I don't know, but it's so clearly in the interest of both sides to get an agreement that I'm sure they will do that, and it will be a political failure if that doesn't happen. Very briefly, it'd be in the interest of both sides. I mean, both sides have got to give up something, presumably, to reach some sort of a compromise. What should the UK be looking at, at sacrificing in order to get across the line? Well, I think that I mean, the UK has actually, I think, come a long way. The e, and it does take both sides. I'm not sure how far the EU has gone. I'm not inside the, I'm not part of the negotiating team actually saying, well, you, you budge on this, you budge on this. But I think on state aid rules, for example, you know, they've clearly made uh, uh, an agreement on that. Uh, which met some of the EU requirements. Uh, so, uh, and you know, the main thing is to get a, a proper trade deal, which allows tariff-free and open access 
uh, on both sides. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Roger, we start with uh, an interesting bill, let's say, coming uh, to Parliament soon, we think, around um, being able to retract deals, the government being able to intervene in deals. Yes, it's a Bloomberg exclusive. In fact, they've learnt that government's drafting a radical new law that would give ministers the power to undo foreign investments in UK companies. Now, it could even be done to done deals, deals already through. The aim is to stop hostile states gaining control of key assets in sectors such as defence and infrastructure. It's going to be called the National Security and Investment Bill. Could be published later this month. Of course, critics say, well, applying retroactive risks will undermine investor confidence, especially at the time when Boris Johnson wants to boost trade and attract foreign partners after Brexit. But I think the uh, the name Huawei is clearly hanging over this and China as well. Yeah, already a very divisive issue in Parliament. And you've got to wonder whether all of Boris Johnson's party is going to be on board with this, especially given the level of rebellion we've seen recently. So it could be another headache around the corner. Uh, and then we've got uh, some more virus measures coming into some of the countries elsewhere in the Union, Northern Ireland, taking draconian new lockdown measures. So schools are going to close from Monday for two weeks. That includes half term, though, after which they're going to review things and see if they want to continue keeping them closed or open them. And then pubs and restaurants are going to be limited to takeaway and delivery for four weeks from Friday. And then the Welsh First Minister has also said that uh, politicians there are planning a circuit breaker lockdown. I mean, the Northern Ireland one looks pretty much like a circuit breaker as well. Very familiar, given where we were back in March, but intended to be much more uh, temporary than what we saw then. Yeah, and apparently Straban and Derry City are being seen as real hotspots for the virus at the moment, hence what's going on from Stormont, I suppose. Uh, Meanwhile, the Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, has been urging vulnerable MPs to stay away from Parliament. This all comes as the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan's warning the city could be put into stricter lockdown within days. Last week, the Speaker said there had been a small number of cases on the parliamentary estate. Among them was the MP Margaret Ferrier, who travelled from Glasgow, of course, famously, notoriously, in fact, despite having symptoms and returned home after testing positive. Yeah, and Hoyle was uh, not happy about that whole incident, to say the least. Uh, They've taken a lot of steps, haven't they? Perspex, stickers, social distancing, all the rest of it to keep Parliament safe. And that was uh, quite the move against that. But we're at an interesting moment, aren't we, Roger, with uh, Boris Johnson. He's got this big majority, but he's got it coming at him from all sides, not just scientists, not just Labour. Some of his own backbenchers as well are, are putting pressure on him and not all for the same thing. No, they're pushing in opposite directions, which is what's interesting. And the government doesn't really seem, I would say, to be having a steady hand on the tiller. At the same time, of course, the wheels seem to be coming off the Brexit plans a bit. As his own deadline looms, no sign really of a deal on that. So let's talk about all this with Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, welcome to the programme. It's an extraordinary bind to be in, really, for a man who has, let's not forget, more than 80-seat majority in the House of Commons, and yet... They seem to be being blown by the winds, whatever they are, in all directions. Yeah, I mean, you'd almost say that that 80-seat majority gives Tory backbenchers a little bit of comfort in 
being able to sort of defy the prime minister on some of these votes, it doesn't really hurt the government in any um, lasting way, but it's sort of a shot across the bow. So, you know, in that sense, having such a majority um, can be a disadvantage as much as an advantage. But I don't think Johnson's going to worry too much about uh, those kinds of shows of defiance right now. There's not an election coming up. There's no, you know, real... Uh, clear and present danger to his leadership. Um, I think he, you know, will be maybe a little more concerned about the stance that the opposition has taken, because for the first time, Keir Starmer is not simply backing the government policies on uh, on the virus, but saying that Boris Johnson's got it wrong and siding with the expert scientists that have advised the government uh, to institute a circuit breaker lockdown. So that puts Johnson in a bit of a bind because if hospitalizations and death rates go up, uh, there's now uh, ground for the opposition to say, well, you know, we opposed it. And he's also boxed himself in because he said, I'm not going to do this. And then we've got all the people that you mentioned saying, you've got to do this. Are we going to get yet another uh, government virus U-turn in this instance? Well, I think he, you know, he, he can prepare the ground for any change of policy by saying, you know, we'll look at what happens with case numbers. But he would certainly be uh, subjected to quite a lot of criticism from his own party as well as the opposition if having, you know, declined a lockdown in September when it was uh, suggested by scientists that that was the best way to kind of break the, uh, the, 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 the rise in case numbers and hospitalizations to then have declined it then and then have to uh, cave into it in October or November uh, would just really fuel the criticism that Johnson has been, um, you know, very has sort of lacked direction on his policy that he's tried to he's tried to appease both sides on the economy on the health and he's ended up uh, achieving neither the goal of keeping the economy going nor suppressing the virus so it you know i think it's it's risky for for johnson um it's it's risky in a way for keir starmer uh, who has, you know, for the first time broken with his policy of supporting the government on the lockdown. But I think he's taking, taken, you know, at least politically speaking, the better bet. Now, it's very interesting because we had Leila Moran, the uh, Lib Dems, of course, on the programme yesterday. She's chair of the uh, backbench uh, uh, committee on in Parliament on the virus and saying really mm. that what the government's doing is the worst of both worlds. And it's interesting because uh, Johnson's next-door neighbour, Rishi Sunak, is clearly amongst those in the Cabinet who don't want uh, further lockdowns. Uh, in a way, it's hard to see which part of the party, which part of his support he actually favours without doing damage. Yeah, and I think I mean, Richie Sunak is also in a little bit of danger here because he can be uh, characterized as favoring the economy almost to the um, to, to the expense of public health. And he's been very careful in recent days to try to push back against that, to say he is concerned about uh, about rising transmission rates. But either Sunak's position has really um, presented presented the, the prime minister with a dilemma because he's so hugely popular in the party and among the public um, that in some ways 
you know, any resistance that he gives to lockdowns just makes Boris Johnson's position harder when he tries to impose, you know, these new measures. And so we end up with this tiering system, which is less confusing than we had before, but it's still somewhat confusing, still not clear why Liverpool, not, you know, Manchester and, uh, uh, and those kinds of questions will continue to be asked. And uh, Johnson's only answer right now is simply that that is the least bad way to go about things. All right, that's the virus. What about Brexit then? Because we've got this summit starting uh, tomorrow. We've got the Prime Minister for a long time being very adamant that he would walk away uh, by this point if there's no sign of a deal. The EU coming out today saying, or Bloomberg reporting at least, that there is no sign of a deal. And then sources telling us that the UK is going to keep on trying to reach a deal. So it seems like they're not really following through on, on what they were threatening to do. Yeah, I mean, the two are very linked because here's another case where the politics and, and, you know, what we might consider best policy would seem to clash. I mean, the politics of this is that, you know, Boris Johnson has always used Brexit to rally uh, relatory base to win over a lot of former Labour voters. It's you know, a totemic issue for his party, and therefore it's really hard for to back down off of, of you know, deadline. And that wasn't our deadline. He said he wanted to see progress by October 15th. And there may be some sense within the government that you know, walk away would shift some of the focus of coronavirus um, you know, to, to uh, Brexit in a way that sort of makes Johnson look decisive and standing up to the EU. But that, you know, that also just carries enormous risk because either way we're going to see disruption in January. Uh, he could be blamed for dropping the ball. Keir Starmer's already set that uh, the ground for that argument in his party conference speech. Um, so, you know, government is, is you know, making, making sort of noises that it would walk away. But you have to say that, you know, that that's still the bigger risk um, in economic terms and in policy terms, even if politically there might be some short-term gains from that. In a way, and all this brings us full circle to what we were saying at the beginning of our discussion about the ways in which having a majority in Parliament isn't really playing to him, giving him strength at all. It's almost as if, and I've heard this suggested, it'd be interested to get your views on it, Therese, that the whole Theresa May period so instituted a culture of rebellion inside the Conservatives um, <laughs> that it's almost ungovernable now as a party, and, and that proves whether it's the virus or Brexit. Oh, gosh, yeah, that, that, I, I, I think Theresa May would very happily swap positions with Boris Johnson. Um, I think how easily we forget what ungovernable really looks like. I mean, in the end, Johnson does get his way uh, in terms of legislation. You know, if we look at, um, you know, so much of what he's been able to do. And yes, you know, he, he has to respond to Parliament. That is the case of all government, regardless of their majority. And the Tories have, you know, the Parliamentary Party, we've, we've discussed this before, has always had a um, an occasionally conflictual relationship with Ken Downing Street. So I think, you know, we, I think within, you know, within those terms, I'm not sure that what we're seeing is so, you know, historically unusual. But, it, it, you know, the Prime Minister doesn't have quite the free hand that his majority would sort of suggest on the surface and that binds him on Brexit and it binds him on the coronavirus and as a result he you know has has looked as if he's unable to yeah. um, make clear decisions on either. Bloomberg Westminster listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.